Ecclesiastes, right after Proverbs. When I first suggested this, I said, hmm, I don't know about this. But I got to look into it, and I think there's a lot in this book that can help us in where we live and things we face and uh, philosophies that we're su- surrounded with and tempted with. And so we'll try to make our way through this. So starting in uh, chapter 1, let's just read through it. And uh, we'll go from there and see what happens. The words of the preacher. The son of David, king of Jerusalem. Vanity of vanities, saith the preacher. Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. What profit hath a man of all his labor which he taketh under the sun. One generation passeth away, and another generation cometh, but the earth abideth forever. The sun also ariseth, and the sun goeth down, and lasts into his place where he arose. The wind goeth toward the south, and turneth about unto the north. It whirleth about continually, and the wind returneth again according to his circuits. All the rivers run into the sea, yet the sea is not full unto the place from whence the rivers come, thither they return again. All things are full of labor, man cannot err it. The eye is not satisfied with seeing, nor the ear filled with hearing. The thing that hath been, it is that which shall be, and that which is done is that which shall be done. There is no new thing under the sun. Is there anything whereof it may be said, See, this is new. It hath been already of old time, which was before us. There is no remembrance of former things, neither shall there be any remembrance of things that are to come with those that shall come after. I, the preacher, was king over Israel in Jerusalem, And I gave my heart to seek and to search out wisdom concerning the things which are done under heaven. This sort of ail hath God given to the sons of men to be exercised therewith. I've seen all the works that are done under the sun, and behold, all is vanity and vexation of spirit. That which is crooked cannot be made straight, and that which is wanting cannot be numbered. I communed with mine own heart, saying, Lo, I am come to great estate and have gotten more wisdom than all they that have been before me in Jerusalem. Yea, my heart hath great has my heart had great experience of wisdom and knowledge. And I gave my heart to know wisdom and to know madness and folly. I perceived that this also is vexation of spirit. For in much wisdom is much grief, and he that increaseth increaseth knowledge increases sorrow. All right. Well, there's several things we see that sort of need to clear up and talk about before we actually start working our way through the chapter. Now, let me ask you, this is not a loaded question, but it's it's a genuine question. Is everything in the Bible true? 
Well, it's true in the sense that it is what the Holy Spirit wanted in there. But not everything written is true. Just like Job and his, his friends, they said statements in the recorded Bible that they weren't yeah. necessarily true. And, and, and the very, er, in Genesis early on, uh, this is exactly what the Holy Spirit records that Satan said. But what Satan said was a lie. So, especially when you're reading through Ecclesiastes, there, there are things that are true, there are things that are half true, and there are things that are just false. For example, we read in chapter 1, verse 4, something that's half true. What does verse 4 say? One generation passes away and another generation cometh, but the earth abideth forever. Well, uh, you go to the New Testament and you find that this present earth is going to be burnt with fire in, in the book of uh, Peter. So again, we have to have discernment uh, and wisdom and apply Scripture, par- comparing Scripture with Scripture, that's a principle that we need to follow anyway. There, there are things that we well, may be reading. Well, I, mean, I need to have an awareness of all of the Bible to see uh, what else is taught there. But just taking it at face value as a statement by itself, at the very least, it's not complete. Uh, and if that's all that Solomon meant then it's, it's not a whole truth. Um, again, this is not to say that, that you, have to, you have to put into context also, as was said earlier, that this is the whole, all of Scripture is breathed out by God. And so it is an inspired book, and uh, it contains statements by Satan or by men, which in and of themselves are not true, but it is true in the sense this is what God wanted. And he, he teaches things by what he brings into it. Now, one of the things when you read through the book of Ecclesiastes that is stated over and again is the conclusion, the dismal conclusion that all is vanity, all is emptiness. And uh, it's not worth the effort. Uh, in spite of all of his wisdom, he failed to make discovery of a fulfilling life. And it's because there is another phrase that is significant. He's looking, Ecclesiastes looks at life under the sun. He's not looking at life from God's point of view. He's looking at the best that a, if a man had everything that he could possibly have, uh, but he doesn't have God, he has everything under the sun, he's going to come up empty. And others who've gone before us have said, for example, you've heard this statement, there is a God-shaped vacuum in every heart. Or you've made us, O Lord, for thyself, and our heart shall find no rest Till we rest in you. 
are, in the words of Jesus to the woman at the well, if you drink of this water, you'll thirst again. So, uh, again, this was a temporary phase in his life. Uh, I don't know how long it lived, um, but he's, he's looking at life under the sun. There's something else before we get into going through the chapter here. As you go through the book, uh, there are about 40 references to God in the book. But all of them are the Hebrew word Elohim, which is the word that's primarily the uniplural word for the creator God. There is no statement in here of Yahweh or Elohim, uh, not uh, excuse me, not, not, not. it's all Elohim, there's no Yahweh or Jehovah. Those, depending on your translation, um, John MacArthur has brought forth an, an updated translation of a Bible, and he uses the term Yahweh all through, especially the Old Testament, where in other translations, it might say Jehovah. Debate among people as to which one is the best. But, so, we're, we're not given an explanation other than when you, when you look at the, these words, the, the word Yahweh is a redemptive word. It's, it invariably speaks about redemption. So, Looking at life under the sun uh, is from the point of God the creator is not the same as being saved. I'm not trying to pass judgment on Solomon at this point. I'm just saying that's a reality. So... uh, why, we could ask, did God ordain that a book like this uh, be in the Bible and it never rises above the sun? Well, I don't know if I can exactly answer that, but here is a reality. Uh, all over the world, people are seeking for fulfillment. And here's a man who had went down that same road and before, before you roll up your sleeves and try to find fulfillment under the sun, uh, you don't have to go out and create the wheel again. It's already been done. Here, here's a man who, who had all this stuff. And, and if you think about it, from Adam and Eve onward, People are looking for fulfillment outside of God, outside of the revelation of God. God said this, but Satan says this. Oh, let's go try this. Wisdom and happiness and fulfillment is found someplace other than in the will of God. Now, we don't typically have that exact expression. We don't say... You probably have never said, I know that God's word says this, but I'm going to go do this. 
we just go do this and ask God to bless it. And early on, we may have some qualms about it, especially if we've been taught well. Uh, well, I'm, or we'll say, "Well, I'm. It's just a hobby. I'm not giving my heart to it." And yet, you find people giving their heart and soul to fight, to, to 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 try to be esteemed in the world. Um, there's a thousand, thousand things, but here's something that you and I don't deal with. I, I, I'd be surprised. I clicked in on Google just the term video games. Probably none of you, some of you younger ones, might be into some video games. Within 54 seconds, I had access to 11,860,000 links. And when you talk to young people or you listen to the young people, their whole life is around video games. Now, what comes with a video game? A philosophy of life. All of this stuff has a philosophy of life. And it ain't Christian. May not be openly anti-Christian. Some are. But the enemy, and I'm sure he has a part in this, activating the fallen flesh. We don't want to live by divine revelation. We want to go and explore. And our, we just want to go out and have fun. We want to go out and have excitement with our friends. And so hours upon hours upon hours, people sit at video games daily. And they connect with people all over the world. And they carry on battles and they carry on all kinds of things. On this issue and on many others, that we we find uh, a prevalent belief and a prevalent philosophy of life, a, a a one of the greatest gods in the world, whose favorite expression is, when you present something biblical and you show that what they're doing is not biblical, they will say, but I don't see anything wrong with it. Or, they will turn to Romans 14 and use the teaching there about esteeming one day above another and one being convinced of this and one being convinced of that and, and God has some specific instruction there and uh, but so no matter what you put up if it's outside the norm of what even evangelicals accept well the Bible doesn't say don't play video games you just have to give each other liberty on this 
a, a great uh, passage that people love to go to. They may not know where it is. They don't know the context. But uh, so now we can be sitting here and with a video game is not a problem for me. But there's something else that has our heart. I have to ask myself, what is it that has my heart? What is it that gets my attention? What is it that gets my pocketbook? What, what, what do I just go to? Well, you say, well, the way you're talking, you can't even have a hobby. Hobbies can be fine, but they can also become gods. We need to get honest. We can start looking for our fulfillment there. We can wind up leaving ourselves with no time for the study of God's word. I happen to think about this little book that many of you have seen before. I've held it up many times. and uh, Given the story of Cornelius Ortez de Mon, a martyr in the 14th, 15th, 16th century, somewhere along there. And, and I've often said, and the first time I use it this way, uh, a lady who was visiting our church had two children and tell me about your youth program and I was so sick of hearing that because I knew the other churches she was visiting us yeah, we can't compete with that so I had just read this book and I, I wrote her a letter and I said uh, here's the youth program that we would love to have we're not there yet. So it tells about Cornelius Artes de Man, and he sees a Christian being burnt at the stake, worshiping, praising the Lord, and praying for his tormentors. He's 14, this little boy is 14 years old. He finds a church that's meeting in a home secretly, and they don't cart him off to the entertainment section he goes in with the adults in Bible study and he witnesses Christians living with each other, praying for each other, ministering to each other, saturated with worship to the Lord and his word. By age 17, he was not only a Christian, but so rooted and grounded in the word of God that the Roman Catholic institution said, if we can capture him and get him to recant will knock a hole in this movement. They captured him. He would not recant. He stunned their leading learned men with his answers, biblical answers. And ultimately by age 21, he wouldn't recant and they, they burned him at the stake. In the meantime, there was much, much torture. But early on, he said, to, uh, to these people. Day after day for many months, a priest came to the prison to persuade Cornelius to recant, to return to the state church. The count also brought in prelates whose position would impress the young person. With these people lined along the walls of the castle courtroom, Cornelius was brought face to face with them and heard them promise him a future of position and honor if he would turn from the Anabaptist faith. faith. Calmly, Cornelius said, there is no higher position 
than to be a child of God and no greater joy than to be a voice for him. So we're not raising a generation of people who are grounded in God's word, who have such a love for Jesus Christ, that their philosophy is there is no higher position than to be a child of God and no greater joy than to be a voice for him. In Solomon's day, there was all kinds of opportunities to go and pursue whatever in the hopes of finding fulfillment, in the hopes of life being worth living. Vanity of vanities. Emptiness is what came up. So, this is a book that... uh, we can profit from greatly. Another thing to keep in mind as we start going through this book is that this is a, this is a book in the Bible that cults love. Because there's, there are places in here where you can pull out a verse and, and promote soul sleep or annihilationism. Uh, especially on the hereafter. And there are just other, other things as well, but just be aware of that. Um, so again, remember that this is a book that is a record of a man who is looking at life from the point of human wisdom and not divine revelation. So, sort of an introduction. So he's called a preacher, which means uh, a caller, uh, one who convenes an assembly, a debater, a spokesman, a preacher, a son of David. Um, Everybody pretty well agrees that this is, in fact, Solomon. And uh, uh, He's in his, uh, the result uh, statement here, the result of all of Solomon's investigation and research, research under the sun is that all is vanity. Life is transitory, fleeting, useless, empty, futile, has no meaning. Nothing on this earth provides a valid goal of existence. Is that true? Yes, It is absolutely true if this life is all. And see, that's the point. And and what do we have? Uh, The whole history of man is a history of different ones trying to be king of the hill. And we have people today who are determined to rule the world. And a lot of them are saying, we're doing it for your benefit. We're doing it so you'll be happy. So, um, vanity of vanities. So then he says in verse 3, What shall it profit a man at all, his labor... Let me get this where I can see it. Verse 3, What profit hath a man of all his labor, which he taketh under the sun? So again, he's... He's telling the story here 
of a life that he's lived and he's experienced futility and, and uh, emptiness. He's, uh, he's, it's like it's like, like on a treadmill. And, uh, and so you work hard and I want a farm, I want a nice house, I want a nice car. And uh, again, those things may be fine, can be in the will of God, but if you're not, if you if you're living life under the sun, then it always. Well, I need a bigger car. I need a better car. I need a bigger farm. Uh, I need this. I need this. There's no satisfaction, no fulfillment, and when we are pursuing that, uh, very often relationships go down the drain. I remember in college during the youth weekend, staying at a home, and they were talking about a leading family in the church who, after 20-something years, had just divorced. And I don't have all the details, but here's, here's a, what, what they said was they tolerated each other as long as the children were at home. They built their lives around the children. And then when the children were gone, they didn't have anything. And they said, I'm not going to live the rest of my life this way. And so they parted. Uh, what am I building my life around? Well, why am I working to get money? What I need money for to buy food? What I need food for to get strength? Why do I want strength so I can work? So there's a natural cycle, but if you're not careful, you'll live for that. Um, here is a, a statement there was a woman crying at the bus stop a Christian asked her if he could be of help oh I'm just weary and bored my husband is a hard worker but he doesn't earn as much as I want so I went to work I get up every morning fix breakfast for our four kids pack the lunches take a bus to my job then I return home for more drudgery a few hours of sleep and another day, just like the one before. I guess I'm sick of this endless routine. And many own that treadmill of trying to make progress with life under the sun. So I need to ask myself, am I, am I living life just under the sun? Am I, or am I living life with the perspective that the most important thing is my soul, my spirit, and the soul and spirit of others, and I want to live life of walking in the steps of Jesus. And that's, that's this routine just goes on. About what it starts, for example, in verse 6, the wind comes from the south, turns to the north, whirls about continually, Return so that there's a circular factor, uh, and a part of that is just normal in living life under the sun. That some of these things are not wrong in and of themselves; it's just the way life is under the sun. But as Solomon's life demonstrates in the totality of it, there's something more than living life under the sun, and he experienced it with Shulamith his wife there in 
in the Song of Solomon and the wisdom that he had from God, which is recorded in, in the Proverbs. Man is so constituted that all the world cannot bring lasting happiness to his heart. This does not mean that his case is hopeless. All he needs to do is to get above the sun to the one who, quote, from Psalm 107.9, from the one who satisfieth the longing soul and filleth the hungry soul with goodness. In verse 9 through, through 10, uh, there's this reality there's nothing new under the sun. And uh, we're always looking for something new. That's, that's a big concept in, in, in our society. So searching for life under the sun, first of all, intellectual knowledge uh, is not enough. And um, human wisdom is not enough. Education is not enough. Um, and again, in the whole book, there's no reference to a redemptive relationship with God. And there's an incredible amount of knowledge that can be had in all these areas and success. And we can read about them, we can see reports about them, and it just blows you away. Wow. And uh, you can move it in, into the sports world. Uh, none of you, I don't think, ever saw me play golf, even in my prime. <laughs> yeah, I think Cloyd and I may have gone once or twice. Yeah. He never wrote home and said, I've played with a golfer today. But so little as I was in it, I had about a two-year streak when Leo Lundberg and I, one year we made a commitment we would go golfing at least once every month. During that time period, guess what began to, I began to look at golf clubs I began to believe advertisement. This is going to be the key. This is going to be the key. There was always something, always something more and bigger and better. That was because I was really focused on. I want to get in the '90s. I want to get in the '80s. And uh, there were a few times, not many, but there were a few times I'd have a good game, and so then what? I'm gonna find a way to play again this week. Once a week is not enough. And so I went at times when really I shouldn't have. And life is like that. Uh, there's always this pull. And I wish I could tell you that during that time period I was simultaneously saying, well, I'm not going to do that. Because I need to spend this time in the Word. There's somebody I need to minister to. So quickly, in those moments, I would justify and just put blinders on and go headstrong. And I think on just about every occasion, on those games, I had a horrible game. <laughs> well, maybe this is not the road I need to be on. Uh, there was a guy named Henry Martin who sought and won honors at Cambridge University. 
And yet in his hour of academic triumph, he said, I was surprised to find I had to grasp a shadow. And J.H. Jowett said, his eyes were now lifted far above scholastic prize to the all-satisfying prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. So in, in Martin's case, his uh, disillusionment, his, his experience of the emptiness of having gotten on the top of the mountain, uh, brought him to see, you know, I need to seek a different prize. So I don't know where, where any of you are in this, uh, but I'm sure human nature being what it is, that uh, we're in this battle. So I think as we go through the, uh, Ecclesiastes, I think there'll be uh, things that'll be, that'll be help, helpful to us. Father, thank you for this time to spend together. May our hearts be open to your word and the application of it to our lives. Uh, I'm sure there are many of us who need to go home and think about what's going on in my life. And I'm looking at it from life under the sun as if God doesn't exist. Help us, Father, to walk in the fullness of your spirit. And for your honor, for it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.